As we read our Bible, sometimes we get what's called a prophetic preview or a double prophecy. When Daniel wrote his famous book, he gave us a prophecy about a coming world leader that would arrive some 400 years after Daniel wrote. His name, Antiochus Epiphanes. He foreshadows the coming Antichrist. Many incredible parallels, both prophetic to Daniel's time, the coming Antichrist, future to our time. We'll learn more about this intriguing prophecy today on Walk in Truth. You're listening to the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now, here's Pastor Michael. The Bible is true, and the God of the Bible is true, and we know the end of the story. I throw that out to you because you may ask questions. When you study prophecy, you may ask the so what question, and every Bible teacher has been taught to ask so what. When you're approaching a Bible study, and some of you are Bible teachers or you teach Sunday school, you should ask that question, so what? So what does this mean? Is there an application? And by the way, when you come into church on a Sunday, um, you know, I know there's all different levels of people who come into church on Sundays and Wednesdays. There's people who know a few Bible verses and people who have been studying the Bible for decades. But one thing that you should be asking when you leave on a Wednesday or a Sunday is, was I taught the Word of God? Did I receive the Word of God today? Whether it made me happy, <laughs> whether it challenged me or shook me to the core, was I taught the Word of God? Do I know more about the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Not necessarily did I like it. <laughs> I hope you enjoy being here. Don't get me wrong. I don't want you to walk out like Eeyore every Wednesday and Sunday. Not much of a Christian. <laughs> we don't want that, right? But some parts of the Bible are challenging and hard. And the big question is, was I taught the word of God? And then is my heart to apply it. The book of Daniel from chapter 2, verse 4, from the, to the end of chapter 7, verse 28, has been in Aramaic. We now switch back to Hebrew. That's a side point, but you may be interested in that because I told you from chapter 2, we've moved from Hebrew to Aramaic, and then we're moving back to Hebrew. And the question is why? And some people argue because the rest of the book of Daniel is for the Jewish people in the sense that they're the main uh, target or audience or uh, subject. And so Israel is at the heart of this throughout the ages and into the end times. Antiochus Epiphanes, which uh, I will get to as we move about midway through the chapter, foreshadows a coming Antichrist in the future. And there's going to be some intriguing similarities between a man that did stuff before Jesus was born and he ruled from about 175 to 164, 63 BC to a coming world leader who will have very many similarities. This is why I've entitled this prophecy or a prophetic preview, because you're going to see prophecy that moves down uh, almost to the time of Christ, but then foreshadows the Antichrist. And so it's kind of a dual level prophecy or a prophetic preview. It's prophecy plus a preview. So that's why I've given you that title. And I think hopefully that will become more clear as we move on. As the book of Daniel challenges us to be a Daniel, 
One of the questions that we should have in our minds is, if I was challenged with the same kind of difficult, dark times, would I, would I be able to stand? Am I prepared to make a stand in difficult days? The church is facing difficult days, as you know, and uh, they're getting more and more challenging. And with that, the church has to ask some deeper questions about why am I a Christian? What am I really living for? And so uh, this is an important aspect of our Christian life that we need to definitely consider. And so as uh, history is going to unfold before us and some major world powers, um, this is what we're going to study tonight, a prophetic preview. This is verse 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of Belshazzar, we met him in chapter 5. He was the king with the writing on the wall. So this is a... Uh, the third year of his reign of Belshazzar the king, verse 1, Daniel 8. A vision appeared to me, Daniel, who's our author. There may be people who say Daniel wasn't the author and there's somebody writing under Daniel's name later. No, Daniel is our author. Daniel's having the dreams. Daniel's having the visions. He said he got this vision, says Daniel, subsequent to the one which appeared to me previously. The one that appeared to him previously is chapter 7, verse 1. And we saw uh, that prophecy. If you just peek back for a second, it says, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw dream, a dream and visions in his mind as he lay on his bed. That's the first year of Belshazzar. Flip over to chapter 8, verse 1. You've got the third year of the reign of Belshazzar. Now, we know Babylon ended with his reign, and so from the time of this vision in 551 B.C., for those of you who are interested in dates, and I think it's important that you have some of these dates down, Babylon falls in 539 B.C. Twelve years from this prophecy, Babylon, the head of gold, Daniel 2, is no more. And so Babylon doesn't really get mentioned much here because Daniel, uh, Babylon is waning in its uh, presence in world history at this point. It'll be just a dozen years and Babylon will pass off the stage. And so this, uh, oftentimes when you're reading your Bible and you may be a little con confused because you say I'm in chapter seven, but what, how could chapter seven be before chapter five? Because the Bible's not always in chronological order. The Bible often unfolds in thematic order. What do you mean, Pastor Michael? I mean, sometimes the Bible unfolds in themes and not chronological order, just that simply. So you can move ahead a chapter in some books and you're actually looking at something that may have happened before. And that's just simply something to know so you don't get confused when you study your Bible. So Daniel talks about this vision. He had mentioned a dream in chapter seven, verse one. Now he's got, he's mentioning a vision. The third year of the reign of Belshazzar allows us to have the historic date. And as I mentioned Safely, you can write 551 B.C. And I looked in the vision, verse 2, and it came about while I was looking that I was in the citadel of Susa. If you have the King James or New King James, it's called Shushan. Most of the modern translations have it as Susa, which is in the province of Elam. And I looked in the vision, and I myself was beside the Uli Canal. Now, in the province of Elam is where he finds himself in this area of Susa. This area, by the way, is not a prominent area at this moment of history. This would almost be like 
If someone had a vision of Washington, D.C. in 1576, hundreds of years before Washington, D.C. was ever the capital of a place called the United States, this is what we're looking at. Susa actually becomes the capital of the Persian Empire after Medo-Persia uh, arises and then Persia takes dominance. And this is an area of the world that's mentioned in Nehemiah 1.1 and Esther 1.2, eventually becoming the capital of the Persian Empire. Uh, remember that Daniel's having some sort of vision, and so he has the vision, and he is all of a sudden at this location. Where is he really? 200, 250 miles away in Babylon. Was he transported near the canal? Was he just taken there in the spirit? I think we would be safe to say, just like John the Revelator, the book of Revelation, he's on the island of Patmos, but he's taken to a high mountain in Revelation, I think it's 20 or 21. He's taken to the wilderness in Revelation 17, 1, where he sees the woman riding the beast. And so when Revelation comes, someone can be taken to a place in the world, if you will, where they're seeing things, but their body isn't necessarily there. And so you can wrestle with this. It's a minor point, but I don't know that he was transported there, but he's taken there in the spirit, if you will, to this place. And so this location, the Ulai Canal, most uh, historians and scholars believe was a man-made canal that ran through or flowed through Susa. It was called Euleus in later classical writings, called Susa by the Greeks, the chief city of the Medo-Persian Empire, uh, about 250 miles east of Babylon. And so this is where we are now located. As we saw in chapter 7, animals begin to appear before Daniel. They represent either kings or kingdoms or both. And we're introduced to another, as we saw in chapter 7, we're now introduced to a ram. I lifted my gaze and I looked. I looked and behold, verse three, a ram which had two horns was standing in front of the canal. Now the two horns were long, says Daniel, but one was longer than the other with the longer one coming up last. The Persian king, when he stood at the head of his army, bore instead of a diadem, the head of a ram. This is very significant for the Persian Empire. Daniel sees a ram in verse 3 with two horns. Remember, a horn in the Bible represents strength. Here, specifically, a kingdom or a king, as we've seen the horns show up in the book of Daniel and Revelation. The two horns represent the combination of a Medo-Persian empire. One horn is longer than the other because one kingdom will become more prominent than the other. The more, the more prominent kingdom will become Persia. By the way, Persia is now the name for modern-day Iran. And so that's the area of the world that we're dealing with. And so the Medes will be overshadowed by the Persians. This is what her world history bears out. I saw the ram budding westward, northward, and southward. No other beast could stand before him, nor was there anyone to rescue from his power. But he did as he pleased and magnified himself. Now, this is an incredible prophecy, Bible students, because it shows that this world empire begins to move in certain directions. It's located in the east, if you will, 
and it begins to move westward, northward, and southward, which is exactly what... You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment, but first... We are entering the holiday season, and more specifically, Thanksgiving, which reminds us of a time of harvest. The Book of Ruth is a tiny gem in scriptures. Its story goes much deeper than we see on the surface. It's a story of loving-kindness, hope, and redemption. Naomi and Ruth face some of life's biggest challenges, and Boaz becomes their redeemer. Looking deeper, the lady's story is our story, and Boaz is a picture of our ultimate redeemer, Jesus Christ. This book will give you hope through the toughest seasons and lead you back to the answer, our God, who is filled with loving-kindness and is our hope. For your donation of $20 or more, we would like to give you a copy of the CD set or DVD by Pastor Michael Lance, Ruth, the Lord of the Harvest. Visit walkintruth.com today. That's walkintruth.com. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. So that's the area of the world that we're dealing with. And so the... Medes will be overshadowed by the Persians. This is what world history bears out. I saw the ram budding westward, northward, and southward. No other beast could stand before him, nor was there anyone to rescue from his power. But he did as he pleased and magnified himself. Now, this is an incredible prophecy, Bible students, because it shows that this world empire begins to move in certain directions. It's located in the east, if you will, and it begins to move westward, northward, and southward, which is exactly what happened. Persia was in the east. The Persians pushed westward, northward, and southward, but they did not go east. Um, The principal movement was west, north, and south, did not push into the far east, as I mentioned, and Cyrus was the leader of the Persian Empire. I mentioned to you when Darius the Mede shows up, there are some scholars that believe it's another name for Cyrus. And it's a debatable point, but there are many good scholars that land there. And so Cyrus is an interesting man, and he led the Persian Empire and dominated much of the world. He was, uh, he is pictured as this ram that's dominating. And so I wanna show you a prophecy in the book of Isaiah. So hold your place in Daniel. You're going to go backwards a little bit. Go to Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah chapter 45. Now, you all know that Daniel begins to unfold from about 605 B.C. into the 500s, and Daniel probably lived till he's about 90. So the book of Daniel is written about in that timeline. You could say in the 500s B.C. Anybody know when the book of Isaiah was written? About 700, somewhere in there, is most of the scholarship. How long is that before Daniel's time? At least 100 years, 150 years. How long is that before Persia and Greece become world empires? Pretty long time. Uh, The Persian ruler, of course, is dominating um, as history unfolds, but we're moving now, you know, into the early 500s and into the 400s. Isaiah's written in 700. Take a look. Isaiah 45, verse 1. Isaiah 45, verse 1. The Lord says to who? To Cyrus, his anointed, whom I've taken by the right hand to subdue nations before him, loose the loins of kings to open doors before him or to open double doors before him. 
New King James, so the gates will not shut. By the way, when um, Cyrus took down Babylon, he had to go through double doors, which were part of the gates of Babylon's defensive moat. They were not shut when Cyrus captured Babylon. Uh, by the way, God named Cyrus in a prophecy in Isaiah 45.1, hundreds of years before he's ever born. Can you imagine? You become the Persian leader. Somebody says, hey, you ever read the Bible before, Cyrus? There's a chapter about you. <laughs> Where? Where is it? I'd like to know. It's Isaiah 45. God calls you by name. Can you imagine that? Now, some people have thought that their name was in the Bible. These have been people in history that have been a little bit off. In fact, I will tell you that the founder of Mormonism, Joseph Smith, wrote his own chapter in his version of the Bible. I guess it's convenient when you can write your own chapter about yourself in a, a book that you call the Bible. But if you add to the word of God or take away from it, what happens to you? You're in deep trouble. Joseph Smith did that. Mormons need to know that. Joseph Smith wrote his own chapter in his so-called Joseph Smith translation, and that doesn't fly. And he, he's, he's already stood before God and had to give an account for that. And so I will go before you, says the Lord, and make the rough place is smooth. I will shatter the doors of bronze. Most believe a reference to the Babylon, 100 gates of bronze in Babylon. Cut through their iron bars. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden wealth of secret places in order that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name. The treasures of darkness is an allusion to the fabled wealth of Sardis captured by Cyrus in 546 B.C., Cyrus did not know the Lord personally, but he understood that the Lord had appointed him, used him as a vessel, and even calls him by name before he was ever born. But notice, Bible students, for the sake of who? Jacob, my servant, and Israel, my chosen one, I have also called you by your name, and I have given you a title of honor, though you have not known me. I am the Lord, and there is no other besides me there is no God I will gird you though you have not known me that men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me I am the Lord there is no other I am the one that forms light creates darkness causing well-being and creating calamity I am the Lord who does all these things very fitting that the Lord would say this in light of Israel's great times of trial who was behind them? Who used Babylon to discipline his people? God. Who used Cyrus? By the way, when Cyrus, if you turn back to the book of Daniel, took uh, peoples captive because he dominated the world, he was relatively kind to them, and he is the one behind allowing the Jews to go back and rebuild their temple. In fact, he gives them the vessels that Nebuchadnezzar took to go back to uh, uh, Israel, to Jerusalem specifically. And so Persia is prophesied about. Do you guys understand how significant this is? Your Bible has just predicted things hundreds and hundreds of years in advance. World empires, leaders by name. Do you know of any other book on the planet that does that? There are none. 
This is it. And this is how we know that the Bible is the word of God. It's one of the ways that we know. Now we're going to move from the ram to the shaggy dog. Everybody look at verse five. Oh, no, it says, I'm sorry, it's a shaggy goat. I was thinking of a movie. Wasn't there a movie? Anyway, while I was observing verse five, behold, a male goat or a shaggy goat, verse 21, we'll, we'll look at that in a moment, was coming from the west over the surface of the whole earth without touching the ground. And the goat had a conspicuous, conspicuous or prominent or notable horn between his eyes. Now, if you skip down to verse 20, verse 20, and you may say, Pastor Michael, you confidently make these assertions about who you think these world empires, it's just a ram and it's a goat and a shaggy one at that. What in the world? How do people know who these are? Well, look at verse 20 of the same chapter. The ram which you saw with the two horns represents the kings of Media and Persia. And the shaggy dog, goat <laughs> represents who? The kingdom of Greece. Now, do you guys see why liberal scholars can't handle that the book of Daniel could be written in the 500s, moving into close to 600? Because when does Greece dominate the world? I think Alexander the Great, it's in the 330s BC. How can Daniel have this information? He's a, he's a Jewish man as a captive in Babylon, where does he know this kind of stuff? Unless he is getting revelation from the God of heaven who's outside of time and who controls history because history is his story. Do you believe that? I don't think I have to be terribly convinced other than to try to use slippery gymnastics or hermeneutical gymnastics or to try to redate the book because if I don't believe in miracles, then I have to redate this book. Because this is predicting history in advance. This is talking about the Medo-Persian and Grecian Empire before they ever really either exist or dominate. How can that be? Because the Bible is divine. All scripture is what? It's inspired by God and it's profitable. So the shaggy goat was coming from the west. From the west comes a one that looks like he didn't even touch the ground, moved so quickly, dominated so rapidly. Who's that, Bible students? It's Greece. Alexander the Great. He watched, Daniel watched a powerful ram, another animal representing a kingdom, a male goat from the west, over the surface of the whole earth, without touching the ground. He's the first king, Daniel 8, 21. Alexander the Great quickly conquered the known world. It seemed like his feet didn't even touch the ground, says one writer. Alexander launched his attack against Persia in 334 BC. By 332 BC, he had essentially subdued the Persian Empire. Under Xerxes, Persia uh, intended to move west, but from the west came this fast-moving goat. Alexander the Great, son of Philip, king of Macedon, founder of the Hellenistic Empire. Born in 356 B.C., ascended the Macedonian throne in 336 B.C., so he's very young, advised by his teacher Aristotle that he could rule the world if he could make people adopt the Greek culture. Alexander extended the empire east from Greece, around the Mediterranean Sea to Egypt, then to the borders of India. 
He died in 323 B.C. at the age of 33. Some say after an all-night drinking binge. Some say in an attempt to rebuild Babylon against God's will. Uh, maybe both. And so his kingdom came to a quick end. And I've told you before that they, there are stories of Alexander beating on his bed because he had no more kingdoms to conquer. And so he was, he was sad. What am I going to do now? Right? That was Alexander the Great. Your Bible is telling you world history. Or world history is catching up to your Bible. This is really how we should look at it. Hey guys, it's incredible that we're entering the holiday season now, coming up on Thanksgiving. It really makes you think of the time of the harvest. And we have a wonderful product to offer to you as a thank you for a donation of $20 or more to the ongoing ministry of Walk in Truth. It's called Lord of the Harvest. It's a teaching through the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth, the story of Ruth, is more than just what you see on the surface. It's really a story of loving kindness, hope, and redemption. As Naomi and Ruth face some of life's biggest challenges, but meet a kinsman redeemer named Boaz. When we look a little deeper, their story is our story. And Boaz is a picture of our ultimate redeemer, Jesus Christ. I would love to get this product into your hands. Go to our website at walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH. And we'll get this product in your hands. And for a donation of $20 or more, you'll be helping us reach more people and reach out with God's truth this holiday season. We appreciate it. We love you. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.